0: Welcome to the Burden and Blessing podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of truth. We pray that through this study, your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear.
1: Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. We're going to be starting up a new series in our Bible class, in our Bible study uh, pillar, As we go back to the very beginning of the scriptures, most people have read through the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, which lays the foundation for many things. And what we're going to be doing over the course of the next few weeks and months is going through an in-depth study of the book of Genesis and some of the details that are laid out that lay the foundation for everything else that comes in the rest of the scriptures. So what we'll be doing is we'll be taking a look at one chapter at a time. Sometimes we'll take more than one chapter as they kind of combine together. But going in depth with each one of these chapters uh, to look and really dig into the details of what God offers to us in these verses. And joining me in this series on the book of Genesis to go through these uh, depths and riches of God's word is going to be Pastor Mark Tiefel. Mark and I have both been going through independent studies of this in our own congregations and felt that this would be a valuable thing to pass on to our listeners as well
0: Mark glad to have you with us this morning yeah glad to be here I think this will be a good topic to study and to try to dig out some truths from God's word on
1: so in the past we've done a series on overviews of the books of the Bible and when we went through and studied the book of Genesis uh, quite a while back we just kind of did a, a, just a brief overview of what takes place covering the broad details of the book of Genesis. And I would encourage our listeners as we get into this particular series that it might be valuable to go back and re-listen to that overview podcast of the book of Genesis just to get the the basic details of the author and some of those things who the Holy Spirit used to write these verses. Uh, we'll touch on that a little bit in our series, but we're going to jump into chapter one. And let's start Mark with The book of Genesis itself, the word Genesis means what, and how does it fit into what we're going to be reading about in in these 50, 50 chapters?
0: The book of Genesis means beginning, and it's the start of something. And that's not only the way that the book begins in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but what we see in Genesis is really the beginning of order in life as we have it. And so, One of the important things about studying Genesis, especially the first chapters, is it gives us the foundation of really the rest of life and the rest of our faith, which is one reason why the book of Genesis is really important today. But in these chapters, in these opening chapters in Genesis, you get the beginning of time, the beginning of things in the material universe, the the beginning of mankind, um, the existence of God, uh, God claiming and, and holding the status of eternity, uh, having no beginning or, and no end. And so it is a beginning, a book of many different types of beginnings. And that's why it continues to be very important in our lives today.
1: Let's, let's start there. You, you mentioned the opening verse of Genesis. When I was in Hebrew, we had to memorize this verse in the Hebrew. Uh, and it starts off, in the beginning, God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That, that word in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's different than the word that we're going to become familiar with later on in the book of Genesis that is Yahweh, the personal name for God, the God of the covenant. But the, the word Elohim many times is used, now it can be used in a generic sense to describe other so-called gods But do you want to talk a little bit about that first opening verse, in the beginning, God, the nature of God, what Genesis tells us about God? Get into that that word Elohim to begin with.
0: Well, the, the word Elohim is interesting in the Hebrew, in the original language that Genesis was written in, because it's a plural word. So what makes this unique about God is that he's a singular God, but the word itself is a plural. And that comes out in the, in the at the end of Genesis chapter one, where God creates mankind. And in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image. Uh, but the Hebrew says, God said. So what you've got there is a very interesting construction in the Hebrew of a singular God and plural us and plural are then god said let us make man in our image and so what you see here with the word elohim is a different word for god like you mentioned it's not the it's not the word for yahweh which is the maybe the personal name that god gives himself later on but it it gives us an indication of the trinity here of the father son and holy spirit and we know from the rest of scripture that all three members of the Trinity were present at creation. We see the the spirit of God coming in, in Genesis one, verse two, and then uh, the new Testament testifies in a number of different places that all things were made through Christ, that he was present there as well. And so I think what you have with Elohim is a word that fits well with the way that God describes himself in the rest of his word being three persons in one God. the sort of this mysterious connection between the singular and the plural. It seems like it's so amazing
1: whenever we see the word Yahweh, we think of this covenant aspect and, and the fact that God makes a promise that he will fulfill. But when we hear the word Elohim, a lot of times it emphasizes the power of God. And certainly that is going to come out in this particular chapter as God calls everything Into existence. In the Latin, we use the phrase ex nihilo, uh, out of nothing. There was nothing to begin with, everything that there was, God created here in these opening verses. But there are some challenges in this opening chapter. For example, in verse one, we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but then when you start to get into verse 3 and the rest of the chapter, we start to get more details. How is it a different heavens and earth in verse 1 than what we see in verses 3 through the rest of the chapter? How do we understand that God created the heavens and the earth in verse 1 in connection with the rest of the chapter?
0: Yeah, well what you have there with the heavens and the earth is sort of a summary statement of what is going to be described as coming in the rest of Genesis chapter 1 and I think we see that that pattern come out in Genesis chapter one, as we continue to, uh, read along on how God describes how he created, uh, the world and what you had there with the word, with the phrase heavens and earth in, in linguistic terms, that's called a mirrorism. And Emirism is a linguistic phenomenon in which a combination of two contrasting parts, two different parts, are used to refer to the whole. So heavens and earth are not saying that you know, God created the, the, the universe or the stars and then the, the, the earth, and then he recreated it in verses two and following. Verse one is a summary that's saying God created everything heavens and earth refers to everything it's two different parts of each that refer to the whole think of it as you know we use the phrase i searched high and low you're not saying that you literally went high and you literally went low, but you're saying you searched everywhere. Or if in your car you have bumper to bumper coverage, if that's not saying only your front and rear bumpers are covered. It's saying the entire car is covered. That's what you have there in Genesis 1 verse 1 with the heavens and the earth. It's saying God created everything. And then as we move along, God's going to tell us how he did that. And this is this is the, the, God's going to do this in Genesis chapter 1 in a number of places where he says he creates something. And now he's going to tell you how. And that's, that's what we, we get into that with Genesis chapter two as well. So as we go on, then in,
1: in verse three, the Lord is going to give us, he's going to back up and he's going to give us more detail about what he means then about the heavens and the earth in verse one, correct? Exactly. Yep. So in verse three through five, we get the first day of creation. And, and so we use that term, the day of creation. We'll, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that because that can be interpreted in different ways. But just as an overview here we're going to get the six well this whole seven days of creation we'll call it that to begin with and what god created on each one of these days so why don't you first of all give us the overview of the six the first six first six days of creation we'll talk about the seventh day later on and what god is doing on each one of those days we'll come back we'll talk a little bit more about those in detail once you give us the overview
0: Okay, so the quick summary of the days, what happened on each of the days of creation. Day one, God creates light, and he also creates what I, what I refer to as the, the basic matter of the earth. Um, it says there, let, let there be light, God said, and there, there, but verse two tells us that the earth was without form and, and void. So the matter was there, the earth materials were there on day one. Um, some people think that it was only light that was created on day one but we also we have we know because of verse two that the earth was present as well in some type of voidless form. Day two God creates a separation between the waters of the earth. I think of this as between like the liquid water and the water vapor. we call that the sky or the firmament so you've got the atmosphere and then you've got this this basically, Globe of of water, uh, and again in verse two, we're told that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the water was there on day one. Uh, day three, then you've got God separating dry land from the waters. You've got God separating dry land from the waters, and then He also creates on day three the plants and the vegetation to go along with um, the the land that that was created there. Um, Then on day four, you've got God creating the sun, moon, and stars, uh, the lights in the heavens. Now, we're going to get into... The, the question that that comes up with that as well, where God God has already said, "Let there be light," and now we see on it wasn't until day four though that the sun, moon, and the stars are created. How does that make any sense? We'll get we'll we'll be covering that question as well, I assume. And then on day five, you've got God creating uh, the the creatures of the sky and the creatures of the water. So the sky creatures and the the water creatures, and then on day six, you have the land animals, and then mankind as well. And I separate those two out because we're going to talk about as well, how God makes a distinction between uh, humanity and the rest of the land animals.
1: Okay. So now before we get into the details of each one of the days and discuss them a little bit more in depth, let's, let's cover another big elephant in the room when it comes to Genesis chapter one. I mentioned earlier on that there are some people who, for example, you get to verse five and these are called days of creation. The problem is, is that within not just English, but also within Hebrew literature, the word day can be understood in many ways. And so we have a little bit of a a controversy about whether about what a day is in the book of Genesis. There are certainly places in Old Testament literature where day can mean a long period of time. And so today we have people that would say, hey, as we look through these days of creation, It's pretty amazing to see how this actually parallels what we know from science, from small, uh, single cell organisms to multi cell organisms. They become more and more complex over the days of creation. So some people would say we can actually see what God is describing here as a process of evolution that takes place. But certainly it wasn't a single day like we mean today, 24 hours. This had to be a long period of time, which can be true even in Hebrew with the word day, sort that out for us. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before in, a, in another podcast dealing with um, a, a particular individual who did, who follows that, uh, that thinking go into that just with a little bit of detail as far as how do, how do we answer
0: that? The big question is literal or figurative. And the, and the word day is used the same way. In our English language, for example, Genesis 35 verse 28 says now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So it's saying it's not saying that the exact literal day, but it's saying the time in which Isaac lived the time period in which he was around or we might say today back in my day, things were different and we're not saying I'm, you know, when you say that you're not thinking of one day. In, in particular, you're thinking of the generation in which you lived. So a more figurative usage of day is the Bible does use that. The big question is in Genesis chapter one, when we look at the context, is it figurative or is it literal? And like you said, the big, the big difference between those two thoughts is, is God telling us that he created the world in six literal 24 hour days, essentially one week or is he telling us that it took a longer time and the earth is actually a lot older than we might think it, it is? And therefore, that's where evolution would come in of the, the evolution of creatures and species and, and uh, things throughout the course of long periods of time, millions or billions of years long, if day is taken in a figurative sense. Um, so there's actually, you know, an, uh, a theory for this. This is called the day-age view in, in technical terms uh, because it's become such a popular movement within the church, really. Uh, it's, it's, it's certainly been part of, of things outside the church, but it's really gained its popularity within the church. So when we read Genesis chapter 1, we want to try to answer the question literal or figurative. Now, there's a th- couple things that come to mind. First of all, when you're trying to interpret a word, you always take the most basic meaning the most common meaning, unless the context around it indicates that it's referring to something else. So when you look up the word day in a Hebrew lexicon, which is kind of a fancy word for a Hebrew dictionary, uh, the Hebrew word, which is yom, the most common understanding of that word is a normal 24-hour day. I think that's the same in English too. When we use the word day, we typically refer to a literal 24-hour day is how we typically use it. So that's the first hurdle that you have to overcome in Genesis chapter one is when you take it with its most basic meaning, is there anything in the text to indicate that God means something different than that? And there really isn't. There really is not. And then what adds on top of that is when God qualifies that in his word with something, when he qualifies day in his word, it's always referring to a 24-hour time period. Consider this uh, passage, Leviticus 9, verse 1. It says, on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. So, Nathaniel, when you hear that verse, Leviticus 9, verse 1, when you hear the word day, what kind of day do you think of?
1: Well, I certainly don't think of a uh, hundred years or longer. Eighth day, I think of a month. Mark, I think of a calendar yeah. that says March twentieth.
0: Yeah, one of the one, boxes on the calendar, exactly. one box, right? Yep. Yeah, and that's that's exactly the way it's meant to be used there because God qualifies it with the word with the word eighth. And whenever we see that happening in scripture, it's always referring to a 24-hour time period. Now, nobody debates what the word day means in Leviticus 9, verse 1. Everyone agrees it means one regular day. Why do we think of it differently in Genesis 1, though, when God goes through each of the days and says, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day? He qualifies the word day with a number. And everywhere else in scripture, when God does that, it's referring to a 24-hour time period. Here's the second qualifier that comes in in Genesis chapter one with each of the days. It says the evening and the morning, the evening and the morning where the first day, the evening and the morning, the second day, another qualifier, meaning a word that gives specificity and meaning to the word in question. We're trying to figure out what the word day means evening and morning helps us understand that one, two, three, four, five, and six helps us understand that God put that into his word. To help us know what the meaning of the word day should be. So Genesis chapter one is abundantly clear and even clearer than other or portions of scripture on what the word day means. And it's always a 24 hour time period. And the the evolutionary theories that introduce alternative views, those impose a thought onto the text instead of trying to understand the meaning From the text. So when Christians read Genesis chapter one, it's important that they understand those basic facts of the case because that's really important to understanding Genesis one the right way, but also knowing where some of these other theories come from. They don't come from God's word, they come from ideas outside of the word that people are trying to cram into the text.
1: So related to that, then I want to get into two other factors that help us sort through the creation account as distinct from the theory of evolution that you were just talking about. And I, I thought it was interesting what you commented on, because you commented on the fact that where this, this intent to insert a or to impose a new idea onto the text is coming from, isn't come, coming from atheism. It's coming from christians and the majority of christians in the united states of america i don't know that you could say throughout the world but at least in the united states of america have rejected the literal understanding of genesis for a different view because it matches up with what they want to believe or what they've been taught is true in the classroom so related to that now there are two other factors that are extremely important dealing with the the idea of evolution related to that is the fact that in evolution single cell organisms evolve into multi-cell organisms. And so we we all have seen the picture of the, uh, the monkey into man or what we call sometimes the molecules to man hypothesis or theory. So we've seen that picture. They want to impose that here too. How do we know for sure that the, the Bible does not, it is not a, an evolutionary text but that it points out very distinctly that the theory of evolution cannot be right, right in connection with the evolution of organisms from lower to higher forms. What can help us here in Genesis one?
0: The biggest, the biggest clue to the answer to that question is the phrase, according to its kind. That phrase is used 10 times in Genesis chapter one. There's only 31 verses in Genesis chapter one. It's not that long. And that phrase comes up 10 times. It's almost as if God's trying to tell us something, you know, God's trying to reiterate a point over and over again, according to its kind. And, and what God does is everything he creates, he tells us he creates according to its kind. What that means is that it, there is no crossover of kinds. We might think of the word species today or the word genus. There's different, there's different ways to classify the plant and animal kingdom with different uh, labels that we give the the different kinds of animals or plants. God tells us everything was created according to its kind. And when he talks about the plants, for example, he gets even more specific about what kind of plants in verse 11, God says, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. So we know that even the different plants have their own different kinds same thing with the animals uh, you can have uh, different species and different kinds of animals but we never see a crossover from one to the other um, there's a lot of variation within the kind you have different breeds of dogs you have different types of cats you've got you've got different like you, you know horses and zebras and mules are all kind of similar but they're not exactly the same but if they all go back to one type of kind and Here we see an example of God not only going out of his way to tell us this, but we see an example of how Genesis confirms science, actual objective science that doesn't come with an ulterior motive. What do we see in the world around us? We see that animals have great variation, plants have great variation, but there's never a crossover okay evolution rests upon the the presupposition that there has to be a crossover of kinds and that like you mentioned with the with that famous illustration of the 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 lizard becoming the ape becoming the man you're crossing over there into different types of kinds you have to see evidence of it. there's no evidence of that in the false. In fact, the, the evidences that have been shown by scientists have been disproven as hoaxes. There's examples of that. So you see Genesis confirming what we observe in the scientific world around us, that there is order, that there is design, that it's not chaotic, that God creates things like he said he created them according to its kind. Very important phrase in Genesis 1.
1: What's amazing to me about that phrase, Mark, you mentioned that it's found 10 times in this chapter, you find it in day three with vegetation, plants, whether that be leafy plants or fruit. You find it on day five with birds and with fish. You find it on day six with the land animals. So so God is very, very clear. Like you said, it's it's almost like he was trying to tell us something. <laughs> it's almost like he knew what we were going to try to do to his text. And he tried to put in as much detail as he could so that we wouldn't misunderstand what it is that he's trying to
0: tell us in these verses. But, but here's where we go back today, because if you take the days of creation as figurative, If if Genesis 1 is just considered poetry, well, then we can't base anything realistic off of what the text is telling us. Again, you see how these topics are connected. We have to understand Genesis is a historical record of what actually occurred and what God is actually trying to tell us about what happened, because then we can take his words as they're written. But if if it's all just a figurative poem or myth, well, then everything is up for grabs at that point it doesn't, so, doesn't matter if he uses the word the phrase according to its kind if we're just talking about a figurative myth here we can't take anything as it stands that's the problem
1: well and this might be jumping ahead a little bit we'll take this up next time but in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 you actually have this is the history mm-hmm. and and you know here's here's the Lord again saying don't misunderstand me this is not poetic this is not to be um, allegorical this is the history of the record of how the world came into existence. So he makes it very clear exactly what kind of literature we're dealing with. Okay. A final thing here. And I think this is a really important part of Genesis chapter two, uh, Genesis chapter one, We'll, we'll get into it a little bit more in Genesis chapter two, but it also relates to this idea of creation versus evolution. And that is the distinctness in the creation of mankind from the rest of creation that God created all of creation for mankind, but man is distinct from the rest of the animal kinds. Go into that just a little bit. At the end of the chapter, verses 24 to the end, what do we learn from those final verses?
0: Well, it's very interesting to me that we, we've talked about that phrase, according to its kind, and that phrase ends in verse 25, and then in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. So the phrase, according to its kind, was never used about humans. It's almost as if, though, God gave a better phrase. And the phrase that he gave is, in our image, in the likeness of God. That's certainly a kind of, in and of itself, isn't it? You know, the phrase, according to its kind, isn't used. But if you're created in the image of God, if you're created in his likeness, that's something completely different and separate from everything else that has been created so mankind is unique mankind is different but God says it's in a heightened way it's in this special way where God made them almost the word is almost like an exact imprint kind of like a, a, a rubber stamp or something where it's it's an exact imprint of what God is going to be like is it what God is like and here's here's probably the most important thing That you lose if you if you introduce evolution into Genesis here, is you lose this special nature of man's creation. And we know from other parts of the Bible, when we study the phrase with image of God, what that means is, is first of all, that mankind was created perfect and holy. The image of God is testified in other parts of scripture as as an indication of God's perfection and holiness, his righteousness. Now, when we think of the word image, we think of something we can see with our eyes. We think of of what we view and, and humans certainly have a distinct look about themselves, but God is not human. God is spirit. And so God is not telling us that we were created in his physical image, in the way that he looks, but in our spiritual image in our in our holiness and our righteousness but if mankind is just a product of evolution if we are related to all the other animals if if there if there was disease and death and suffering that led all the way up to the the entrance of humanity onto the scene of history then we've got a real problem with what these verses are telling us and you, and you really can't accept it as the bible records it here and so the image of god classifies that uniqueness of man. And there's, I think there's other things that go into what it means to be in the image of God, but the most important one is that holiness and perfection. Okay. So you've
1: laid out for us this, I mean, none of the other animals are described as created in the image of God. This is a distinct thing. This is only something that human beings, they're, like you said, it doesn't use the word kind, in these verses but they are a distinct kind in a sense from the rest of everything else that god created but there are a couple of other additional things that god shows us in this text to make it very clear that the way in which he created and and what he did after he created also demonstrates that mankind is created distinctly from the rest of creation what what are some of those other things that we see in these verses
0: Mankind is given dominion over the creation. So mankind is given the right by God to rule over the creation. Think about applications to that in our lives today. Hunting animals, harvesting the ground, using the natural resources of the earth. All of that goes back to, as as Christians believe it, all of it goes back to Genesis chapter 1 here. Uh, So you see how Just jettisoning the meaning of this one chapter can have implications for how we apply it to our lives even today. So mankind is given dominion over the creation. Mankind is given uh, the institution of marriage, which is going to be further developed in chapter two. Chapter two is going to get into that in more depth. But here where God says in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that's an indication toward the institution of marriage where God creates essentially what he creates there is society. He creates the human, the man-woman relationship, the spousal relationship and marriage, which is the foundation for the, the family setting, which is the foundation for our communities and our society. So again, if we get rid of these verses, think of the application to our lives then when it just comes to how we interact with one another. Mankind is given dominion. And then I think chapter two brings in another point that's worth mentioning. I'm not sure if we can get into exactly what this means, but we're told that God breathed into man, the breath of life in chapter two, which is, is, is again a summary of, of what chapter one is telling us about the creation of man. Um, all of the other animals were told had life, but God spoke it into existence. Man and woman were created with a with a natural su- with a substance, man made out of the dirt, woman made out of man's ribs, but they were breathed into by God, that God breathed into the the breath of life rather than speaking it into existence as he did with the animals. So we see a lot of different separation here. One word that has often been used as sort of a summary is the difference between man and the animals is the word soul. We talk about men and women having a soul in contrast to the animals. And, And usually what we mean by that is this sense of of the spirituality that God created them with, almost the, I think of it as the image of God that he created them with, that the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom does not have. And, And so we see a lot of difference that God is highlighting here between mankind and the rest of creation.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, if you take a look at the Hebrew word itself for soul, nefesh, the the word nefesh can be used for animals. It describes animals as having a soul. So we have to be kind of careful with the Hebrew word, but you're right. There is something distinct from human beings. And part of that is the way that we have the ability to to think, to use our intellect, to communicate, to have a relationship with God. You know, all of those things are part of what you're talking about as the soul, that life breath are being created in the image of God that makes them unique. And it's hard to, narrow down exactly what that is but we certainly see in genesis chapter one and what we'll get into in chapter two that that mankind is unique they were the crown of god's creation the rest of creation was created for mankind and we'll when we get into chapter two this is going to take us a little bit more deeply into some of these thoughts that we start with here in genesis chapter one and we'll dig into with more uh, thoroughness in the next chapter Uh, Let's back up just one thing. You introduced a question, uh, which I think is valuable to get to. Let's back up to the fourth day of creation. You commented, well, on day one, God created light. On day four, he creates the luminaries. What's going on there? How do we understand that?
0: Well, we see this crossover between the first three days of creation and the last three days. So days one, two, and three, and days four, five, and six, we see a connection between those days. And I like to think of it as... Quantity versus quality. On days one, two, and three, God is telling us that he's creating the quantity. He's putting the the materials out there. He's putting the, 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 the things out into the world. And then what God does in days four, five, and six is he gives it greater quality. He, he gives greater order to the things that he put down. And, it, and a good way to do this at home on a piece of paper is put one, two, and three on the top row and four, five, and six underneath that. And there's a crossover between those days. So on day one, God says, let there be light. On day four, he gives order to that light. He gives quality to that light, sun, moon, and stars. On day two, God says, let the waters be separated, the sky and the seas. On day five, the crossover day, he creates the birds and he creates the, the the sea animals. He gives greater quality, greater specificity to what he put out there on that on the first set of days. And then day three, God separates the land from the waters and puts the herbs and the, the grass and the plants on the land. And what does he do on day six? He creates. The animals on the land and he creates mankind. So you see the quality given to what God put down. So that's a, it's a good way to remember how, how God traces that through in Genesis. We talked about how greater order goes along as you read in Genesis chapter one. From the very beginning, the first verse saying God created everything, And now he's going to tell you how he did that. And you see a great design there. You see a beautiful design in Genesis chapter one. It also helps you remember why God did the order that he did. Well, we
1: could spend another three hours just on this opening chapter. There's a whole lot more in here as we're digging into these details, but we wanna introduce these chapters and get into a little bit more depth. If you do have questions as we're going through these chapters, feel free to send those to us by email. We'll incorporate those and uh, answer those questions as we're going along. We invite you to join us next time. We'll get into chapter two, a little bit more detail in what we have started going through here in chapter one. Mark, I pray that the Lord would bless your study with your congregation out there as you continue through Genesis. And for those who are listening and joining us, we pray that these studies would be a valuable, in-depth digging into the scriptures for you as well as we refresh our minds on all of these basic and foundational beginning truths that God has laid out for us. So we hope that you will join us again next time. May the Lord in his rich and abiding grace keep you all. We
0: hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that He will always be with you, even to the end of the world.